Hey family, this is Joshua Jones. My wife, Lindsay, and I have the honor of being the lead followers of Way Family Church right here in Edmond, Oklahoma. Thank you for taking a minute to tune in. We pray the message gives you a different perspective about Jesus, His gospel, and what living life in His kingdom is all about. Take notes, listen intently, and be blessed. I'm saying again, say, Revelation is free, but it's not cheap. It always costs people that have revelation. <laughs> and I'm so honored every time I get to hear sincere, genuine revelation. So I want to give you guys a chance right now to do that. And as you do that, I want to welcome my friend to come and share his heart with us. Pastor Dan, man, come and do what you do and be yourself and nobody else. Come on, let's give our friend a hand as he comes. Pastor Dan Thomas. Hallelujah. Somebody give Jesus the biggest praise you got. Come on. That's good right there. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Come on, give them the best you got and sustain it. There's still something in the room. Come on, give them all you got. Come on, praise him like whatever you've been praying for is here. See, I feel something in this room. Listen, this is the third time I'm going to have you do this, but I believe that this time, and I just feel this in the spirit, something's going to break off of you. And, and, and it, it could have broke off in worship. It could have broke off when you walk through the doors. But there's a, something about this moment that when you get ready to do this, not only will it impact you, it's going to impact everybody in your household. I'm telling you, whatever financial troubles you had, whatever kind of physical issues you had, whatever kind of psychological issues you had, this praise coming from the deep inside of you is going to break something off of you right now. When I count to three, I want you to give it all you have and everything you have. One, two, three. Come on, do it right now. That right there is what's on the inside of you. You could have did that the first time. You could have done that the second time. But the third time, all I did differently was put a demand on you. That's all I did was put a demand. And here's what I hear God telling you. Put a demand on me for what I promised that I would do. If you, if you, this demand is not command. Don't get those two mixed up. God said, put a demand on me. In other words, he's asking you the same thing he asked the man who was at the pool of Bethesda. He said, do you want to be made well? See, this, what, what, this means that you don't care how you look. This means you don't care what your friends say. It means you don't care what your family says. I came not only to get free, I came because I am and I'm leaving here with it. I'm leaving here with it. Come on, just high, I, and we've been wanting to say this for a long time. Come on, high five somebody and say, today it's mine. <laughs> it's mine. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Now, I want to do this really quickly, not only because it's right and proper, but I think it's really good for our understanding that honor is the master key to the kingdom. You can get anywhere if you honor anyone. Whatever you honor will move closer to you. Whatever you dishonor will begin to move away from you. This is the way of the kingdom. And I know God loves you. 
not just because the Bible says it. I know God loves you because he sent you a gift that you get to open every single week. And it is in the persons of your pastors, Josh and Lindsey Jones. Would you give them a big God bless you right now? I know God loves you. And so, man, I just want to say I honor you in the kingdom. I thank you for this opportunity. You know that I love you. I, um, I'm, I'm really, like, super honored and humbled to be here. I really am. I think this is great. And uh, I have some more to say, but I'll reserve it. Amen. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get this message. Thank you. God bless you. Uh, we're going to go to the gospel as Matthew records it, chapter 11. The gospel as Matthew records it. Chapter 11, you may keep your seats. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be reading from the New Living Translation, verse 28, and we'll stop about verse 30. The gospel, as Matthew records it, and when you have it, say, I got it. If you're still waiting, you, you're trying to be in Malachi. We said Matthew. They both start with an M. <laughs> there, there may be, if you had an old school Bible, there's a thin page between each of those, right? Malachi and Matthew. All right. Jesus says this, it says, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Just look at somebody, and I want you to say this with a fierceness. Say, this is supposed to be easy. That's what we want to talk about today. This is supposed to be easy. You know, uh, the first iPad was introduced April 3rd, 2010. And the first iPad is commonly called the first generation iPad. And as the years have gone by, iPads have become more efficient, they've become more durable, and they've become more user-friendly. And if you have an iPad or an iPhone, the operating system for the iPad is called an iOS. And so to keep the iPad running at an optimal level, Apple sends updates to the iOS system. Now, any iPad and any iPad users, when you receive the notification of those updates, you're able to install it on your iPad. And as newer generations of iPads have come out and they've given you more iOS updates, to them, it became clear that older iPads could not handle the newer updates. And so what did Apple do? They, they made a decision to stop sending newer updates to the first generation iPads because those, new, those older iPads cannot handle the newer updates. So what would happen is if you had an old iPad and you tried to download the new update, it, what would happen, it would go slower and it would eventually crash the system because it could not handle the weight of the new update. And so as a result, Apple, what they did, newer updates were no longer made available to that iPad. It got to the point that, and some of you have experienced this, that Apple Care stopped doing support for the first generation iPad. No one worked in that department anymore. Apple shifted resources to only support the pads, iPads that could handle the updates. And in order to fully experience all that Apple had to offer in the new updates, users needed to upgrade, everybody say upgrade, 
from a first-generation iPad to a second-generation iPad, or they'd have the update, but they wouldn't have all the functionality features and the benefits of the update and eventually the old iPad under the weight of the new update will fail to perform like it was created to perform. Now as terrifying as that might have been for Apple users to go through that experience, many believers are going through a similar experience in their relationship with God and don't understand and don't realize that because they have not taken advantage of the upgrade that they struggle, fight, and battle in a war that's already been won. If you've got an old school Bible, it's broken up into two sections, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, testament is an interesting word. We, we don't normally hear this word. We don't even normally use this word because you always hear it when someone says this, the last will and testament. Now, now that term is used to express a person's wishes after they died. However, nothing that they express in their last will and testament is valid, nor can it go into effect until they die. Now, let, let me say this, that we, we call this an inheritance. And I just have to say this really quickly. An inheritance is not something you work for. An inheritance is something that someone else worked for their entire lives with the intention of leaving it to you when they die. You don't work for it, you inherit it, you don't merit it. When that person dies, everything in that will now is available to you. You receive what someone else worked for. Isn't that a good thing? Now watch this. Now when the will is executed and you have received or you can receive what was in that will, here's what Hebrews chapter 9 verses 16 and 17 says. It says, now when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. How many know that, that Jesus fulfilled the law? And you got a lot of people going around saying, well, the law is still here. We still have to follow the law. No, Jesus fulfilled the law, meaning he's filled it to the full. No, well, well, the law didn't go anywhere, but Jesus, the scripture says that Christ is the end of the law, meaning that whatever the law required for you and I to feel, he fulfilled it, meaning you don't have to come back and do it anymore. L listen, listen, Jesus has finished the work. You know how it is when somebody's trying to come up behind you and do work that you already did? It kind of makes you mad, right? I I've cleaned the dishes. I know I cleaned them clean, clean. Like we used to say when I was growing up, so fresh and so clean, clean. Why are you then trying to come behind me and redo what I did? Because when he fulfilled the law, he's saying he fulfilled the requirement of the law so that you would no longer be required to do it again. See, if you want to follow the law, you have to do it. If you believe in Jesus, you believe he's already done it. See, this is how we understand that my faith doesn't get me anything. My faith gets me the stuff that Jesus already got and left in the will. Are you still here with me? So, so the Old Testament and the New Testament are wills. 
Wills are put into effect when someone dies. In the Old Testament, and, and covenant is a better word, but in the Old Testament, an animal died and his blood put into effect God's wishes for his people. Now, I didn't mean to say this, uh, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say this, and I don't mean to be irreverent. I don't mean to be rude. I don't mean to be crass. I don't mean to be vulgar. I don't mean to be any of those things. But this is why singing and worship is so important. Because the scripture even says that Jesus went out with his disciples from the garden and they began to sing a hymn. Hymn comes from the word hymen. The, 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 word, the, word, the word hymen is that thin skin of flesh that, that, that has to be broken when a man and a woman are intimate for the first time. This is why worship is so different from praise because worship requires intimacy, vulnerability, and transparency. And so when you're singing to God, there is a natural barrier that has to be broken on the inside of you in order to have intimacy with God so that you can discover the more that you already have. A lot of people skip worship trying to get to the word, but the word is for you. The worship is for God. And it's going to be difficult for you to receive the word or the seed when intimacy has not been prepared, when something has not been done in order to receive the word. So, so blood is what put into effect God's wishes for his people, but they had to keep doing it over and over because it didn't erase the problem of sin. But in the new covenant, Jesus died and his blood puts into effect a better covenant that did away with sin. Somebody say better. It's amazing to me that when we read Hebrews chapter 11, we honor all of those people that did all those great faith things. But then in verse 39, and he said, and all these did all these things, but did not receive the promise. Now that's not in my notes, but this makes sense to me. I'm not going to honor people. I honor their faith in old covenant looking forward and toward Christ, but they didn't get the promise. Are y'all still here? They, they, they did not get the promise. I'm not going to follow people who didn't get what I'm after. The, the, the Bible says that they did not receive the promise, God having something better for us. And it makes no sense for me to want to live in the lesser, which is rules and regulations and statutes and ordinances and don't do this and don't do that and don't go there and don't go here when all over here the work is finished. How many want to believe and know that I'm in a better covenant? Now, it seems to me that many believers are not aware of the update. They're not aware of the update. There are a few reasons for that, but I'm just going to deal with one of them. Number one, we're confused about when the upgrade or the new covenant starts. The new covenant doesn't start in Matthew. And, and I know your Bibles have the Old Testament beginning in Genesis, begin, ending in Malachi, and then there's a blank page that I talked about where it says New Testament. But remember, a New Testament, a covenant, cannot be put into effect until the person who made it is dead. So actually, the Old Testament is from Genesis until the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you this? That Jesus Christ did not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
He, he, said, he said, if I testify of myself, then my testimony is from another place. He even said he didn't testify of himself. And, and, and one of the reasons or one of the consequences of not missing the upgrade is really not understanding the role of Holy Spirit in my life. And I want to say something. I'm a, I'm a, I got a couple of more rock your theology moments. I know y'all get that every Sunday, but I'm going to say something. Jesus is not your Emmanuel. Je Jesus is not your Emmanuel. What does the word Emmanuel mean? God with us. Where is Jesus? He's at, I know somebody said, he's in my heart. <laughs> no, he, he, he actually has another ministry. See, see, in Isaiah, it says, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Then Matthew 1 and 21 says that thou shalt call his name Jesus. That's two different things. His name shall be called Emmanuel. Like in my family, my full name, government name, is Dan Abraham Thomas Jr., but because I'm a junior, everyone calls me JR, and if people don't want to add the R, they just call me J. All right? So, and his name shall be called JR. Then, he, then the angel told Mary, thou shalt call his name Jesus. There was an office on the earth that God placed called Emmanuel. Jesus occupied that office, and he was Emmanuel to the Jews. Then he vacated that office and said, I'm going to send you another comforter. Allah's parakletos, one like me, but distinct from me. That's what that word means. Then Holy Spirit, he now comes for the new covenant, New Testament church. He is the church's Emmanuel. He is God with us and he's God in us. And when you understand this about the Holy Spirit, see, we're, we're actually making the same mistake that the first century Jews made and we just don't know it. They thought that they could get to know the Father better by bypassing Jesus. We think that we can get to know Jesus better by bypassing the Holy Spirit. Same mistake, different era of time. Jesus did not come for you to get to know him. He came to reintroduce us to the Father, and then the Holy Spirit comes to take us deeper into Jesus until we come to the full measure, the stature of him in Christ. See, this is so important for us to understand because when you start understanding this, that the word Christ means his anointed and his anointing, that just look at somebody and say, I'm anointed whether you like it or not. Because I am in Christ. I, 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 I'm in Christ. Watch, watch this. Now, because of this misunderstanding, we still have believers who are trying to go to God for support to support an iPad system or a covenant that there is no support for. No one works in your department anymore. And all of your calls and prayers and your begging, your pleading, your snot-nosed crying, your crying out will forever stay in queue because God is not there and updates to that first generation, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant are now obsolete. The Bible even says this in, in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 13, it says, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. 
Now, now Paul says this about the glory of the old covenant. We're not saying that the glory didn't have, the, the old covenant didn't have any glory, that it didn't have a purpose. We're not saying that, that God, that it wasn't perfect, it wasn't righteous, it wasn't good, it wasn't holy. We're not saying that. But Paul said, he, he says this about the old covenant. He said the glory of that covenant is passing away. Passing, I-N-G. Now, that was over 2,000 years ago. Let me ask a question, can, can, and I need y'all to help. If it was passing over 2,000 years ago, it's no longer I-N-G, it's E-D now. It's past. You're, you're in something new. This is, why, this is why God says, behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring my forth. Shall you not know it? What does that mean? That means God could be doing a new thing and you not even know it. That you not even realize it, that you not even perceive it, that, that you're still saying that if I be good to God, he's going to be good to me. If I dot every I and dot every T, now God, you owe me something. And it's amazing that we can receive salvation by grace, but won't receive anything else by grace. We, we receive everything else by works. Well, how did you get that house? Well, I prayed, I begged, I fasted for 21 days, even though I went back to the same lifestyle I had before the 21 days in January, even though I went back to it, but God marked that day, and that's why I got it. No, God did not start being good to you because you started being good to him. What happened was you started believing that he actually was good, and it removed that, un it unveiled what the old covenant was blinding you from his goodness. He was always Always being good to you you just couldn't see it he, he's, he's always been good so so the word obsolete means outdated that, that's what it means I don't know anybody in here that's saying okay let me find the chicken that's two weeks old past the expiration date there's nobody saying that. It seems to me that the believer today is trying to find some rule, trying to find some principle, trying to find something that's going to get God to move on your behalf. It's amazing to me because, because the, the Bible I read says that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. When your mind wasn't even on him. When you told God, I'll never deal with you again because you let somebody in my family die. I had to move because you didn't make a way. God says, when your mind wasn't even on me, my mind was on you. I, I want to say this, and I don't know if I've ever said it to this group, but, you know, God reminds me a lot of Steve Urkel. <laughs> you, you remember Steve Urkel? He reminds me a lot of Steve Urkel because no matter how many times Laura said no and meant no when she said it, he would not take no for an answer. He says, the love that I have for you will never wane or diminish no matter how many times you reject me. Even the message that you made, I will clean up because I am so infatuated with you. I cannot get over you. I'm so consumed with you and I will wait until you say yes. This, this, is, this, this is who he is. He, he loves those that don't even love him. And, and here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, you know, it says that maybe someone would die for a righteous man. Perhaps even for someone good. And then it says, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were sinners. So I just quoted that, but Holy Spirit just told me, go back. Rewind that verse. Because what, what Paul is doing there is he's saying, 
He says, if, if he said, for a good man, some people would die for, for a righteous man, perhaps someone would die. So he's giving you the two qualifications that you and I would have to meet in order for someone to die for us. Well, let's check the record. If you're righteous, the scripture says there's none righteous, no, not one. So, so, so even if you're righteous, it still ain't good enough. Then he says, well, maybe if you're good, peradventure, that's the King James version, old King James. Peradventure, maybe someone would die for you. But then there's no one good but God. So if I'm not righteous, and being righteous is not good enough, that X's me out. But even if I'm good, that X's me out. Then the question that must come to the table is why did he die for me? Because I don't meet any of the qualifications. You know the qualification that you have to have that we use to disqualify us, but it's really the disqualification that actually qualifies us, is you had to admit that you needed them. <laughs> and, and see, when, when we hear the word sinner or we hear the word loss, we think of the worst person in the world. That's not how God thinks. You got, you got the lost sheep, you got the lost son, you got the lost coin. And all of those stories show how precious that lost thing was and how much that thing that belonged to someone else, they wanted to be reunited with it. See, when we think of sinner, when we think of lost, we think of the person that's furthest from God. God says, no, I'm looking for my beloved. See, we're not pursuing him. He's pursuing us. Even when we don't want to deal with him, he is pursuing us. So the word obsolete means outdated. It means archaic. It means it doesn't work. And it's a heavy burden to try to make something work that doesn't work. <laughs> it's important to understand this because Jesus is offering an exchange. You were all in my message earlier. I didn't have time to stop you when you were in the Holy Ghost, Josh. He's, he's, he's all in my message. What he has for you and what you have needs to make an exchange. How many know that when Jesus wants to trade with you, what he has is better than what you have? <laughs> it, it, it's just simply better. So, so, so let's, let's make the exchange for the rest of this message. Let's deal with what Jesus said here. He says that come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Now, this word weary means to grow tired with toil. You, you, you got to hear me on this because, because the word toil means to, to labor with wearisome effort. Now, it's bad enough that I'm going to get tired working. But you mean the moment I start working, I'm going to get tired? And, and, and what he's saying is you ought to be tired of the system that you're in not working. He, he, he's trying to communicate something to them. Just, 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 here's how the system works. I do something wrong. I feel real bad about it. I feel real shame. I go to church. The praise team does well. I ask God to forgive me. All that stuff that he did. I repent. I turn around. I flip. I high five somebody. I feel good. Two weeks later, I think it's gone. It comes knocking at the door again. I do it again. Then I feel bad. I come to church. The praise team does good. People embrace me. I repent. I ask God again. I feel good again because I think that once I start feeling good about myself, that's when God starts feeling good about me again and so I go through this cycle of wearisome toil and that is not what Jesus paid for that is not what he purchased for you, for you to go in this continuous cycle of not knowing where you are with God he loves me 
he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And, and this is what Jesus meant. Remember when Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or labor with wearisome effort, nor do they spin. And here he uses the same word. He says, all of you who are weary, who, who, who grow tired with toil, he said, the lilies just grow. He said, look how they grow. I was, uh, when I was driving here, uh, I, the Lord gave me a revelation when I was driving. I told her that yesterday. Sometimes when I drive, I get a revelation. And my daughter and my wife fell asleep at the same time. I said, why would they fall asleep when the conditions could get adverse at any time? They, they, they trust my driving skills, but we had a destination to go to. They begin to rest trusting that we would get there on time where we were supposed to go. They didn't worry one bit. No anxiety came. And this is, this is how God says, I am the vine. You are the branches. You've never seen a branch struggling to get into the vine. We got to struggle to get into this. Come on, I'm coming into the vine. No. You just simply rest. Did you know that, and for those of you, who, how many fitness trainers do I got in the room? Raise your hand. Got one? You may be the only one to give me. Anybody? Two? Come on. I know you told your clients this before. What's stopping your weight loss and your health is you don't get enough rest. Is that true? Be, thank you. Because most of the stuff that happens, happens when you're asleep and at rest. That's how, if, if you do all this great stuff during the day, you eat all, the, all good during the day, but you get no rest, your body has no opportunity to actually process what you did that day, and you lose it because of a lack of rest. People are losing what Jesus died and paid for because they're not at rest. Watch this. Christianity is operating at two extremes, an exercise in religious academics or an excess in spiritual in excess spirituality. I'm going to say this again. We're, we're operating at two extremes. It's either an exercise in religious academics or an exercise in excess spirituality. In other words, it's so high that people can't understand it or so weird that we don't want it. That's what weariness means. Here's what heavy burdens means. It means to overburden with ceremony. It, it means to, to produce spiritual anxiety. Let me give you a definition of anxiety. Anxiety as, is acting as if everything depends on you. That, that, that's, that's what anxiety is. And, and, and what, what happens, see, there, there's a difference between protocol and order and then formality and ritual. See, tradition, you know you're a tradition when you are emotionally attached to something that doesn't work. You know it doesn't work. Everyone else knows it doesn't work, but we just keep doing it anyway. We, we know, right, like right now, the church is saying we need revival. No, the church needs rest. When the church starts to rest, she will experience revival. <laughs> We, we, you know, you know, Pastor Josh, this, this, this amazes me. I can't understand how after 2,000 years, we are still in a covenant overlap. Yes, sir. 
can that be when there's so much that we could be utilizing? We're still arguing over stuff that Jesus already died and paid for. When you read 2 Corinthians, and I'm just going to throw this on you real quick. He says, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. Now, 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 now this is big because this is a standalone verse that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Stop there. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe. So, 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 so when you hear that word reconciliation the first time, it's not, it's not the bringing together of two warring parties. It's, it's, the, it's where we get our word conciliate. Meaning that you and I do have beef, which I don't really believe God had beef with the world like the way we taught it. But let's just for the sake of the conversation, you and I got beef, but I, I honor our friendship over what we are disagreeing on. And I make a decision that I will no longer be mad at you. God says he's given us the ministry of reconciliation to conciliate, to give a message to people that God is not mad so here's what he says. He, I've given you the ministry of reconciliation. That is. I love the fact that Paul says that is because we like to make up our own definitions of stuff. So Paul says that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Watch this. Not counting men's sins against them. So any message that you preach that still put sin in someone's account is not the gospel. Lord, help me. How many minutes I got left here? (laughs) Listen here. It's, It's not the gospel. You're supposed to be reminding them of what Jesus has done, not what they did. Now, now I know that sounds counterintuitive to what we've been, what we've heard all of our lives, but it is the gospel because something has been done and something has occurred and something good has occurred to humanity. Listen, everyone has been reconciled, but everyone is not saved. Meaning, meaning that, that God's not mad at anybody. Go tell the message that everything between you is good. You've got a will. You've got tickets at will call. All you got to do is go pick them up. That, that's all you got to do. So you got to get out of this weariness. You got to get out of this toil. And you got to get into rest. Rest from what? Rest from weariness or unproductive work and emotional attachments to religion, rituals, and ceremonies that do not produce life. Acts 15 and 10 says this, so why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? Notice that he says that preaching rules and regulations is actually challenging God. You're not even challenging people. So I, I got to preach because the people need to be challenged. No, you're challenging God and what, and what it is that he said. Now, the rest of Christ is not a rest from work, but a rest in his finished work. This is, man, I feel God moving in this place. But here's the reason. The reason why we're getting bored, the reason why we're getting fatigued and worn out is because we have fallen into performance-based Christianity where the acceptance by God is based on what men do and not what Jesus has done. 
But the Bible is clear. The righteous, the just shall live by faith, not by pain for something, not by works, not by doing this and not by doing that. You are going to live by faith. And so faith in Jesus and his finished work is the foundation of all that we believe. Now, I'm going to throw this on you. All believers are supposed to be standing in grace and walking by faith. That's our position, standing in grace and walking by faith. This is what Romans uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom Jesus, we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So what he's telling us is that we, we are supposed to be standing in grace. Now, have you ever seen anyone who cannot stand but is able to walk? I, I've never known anybody who cannot stand on their own two feet yet have the ability to walk. The reason why people are having trouble living by faith is because they first never stood in grace. You, you, you got to get rooted in grace, in the undeserved favor of God. Listen, every week that your pastor comes to you, I'm supposed to be telling you that you're supposed to be receiving stuff that you didn't work for, that you didn't earn, that you couldn't merit, that you do not deserve, that you know that had it been the other way, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God says, I want you to stand right where you are in the middle of your life, chaos all over your life life all kind of stuff and receive what he has done for you watch this watch this I want to ask I want to if you if you're not standing in grace the walk of faith becomes a tedious burdensome thing to carry he said, come unto me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. It's a constant attempt to measure up to God's standard. You're constantly checking to see if you've dotted all the I's, if you cross all the T's, and today you feel like God's going to bless you, and the next day you don't. And if you have a good day, you feel everything is going to happen well, and if you have a bad day, then you think you start back at square one because you are attempting to walk by faith, but you have never stood in grace. You are trying to walk before you can stand and you are stumbling and so today you feel like God's going to do it but tomorrow you're not certain and the next day you feel a little better and the next day you prayed for three hours so you feel God has to hear you but then the next three days you don't pray at all and you start feeling condemned because you are basing your relationship with God on your performance and not on what Jesus has done and let me say this for you Jesus just didn't die on the cross for you he died as you then he sent Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit just does, does not pray for you. He prays as you. He, he prays as you. I haven't prayed in three months. Yes, you have. You've been praying. You just didn't know Holy Spirit was working overtime on your behalf. You've been praying. You, you, you have been praying. He lives on the inside of you. And so when Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, we have to ask the question who he was talking to. He was talking to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He was talking to people who were trying to keep the law of Moses and make themselves acceptable to God. He said, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Look at somebody and say rest. 
This is supposed to be easy. You're not supposed to be anxious about your salvation. You're not supposed to be anxious about your provision. You're not supposed to be anxious about God's goodness to you. You're not supposed to be uncertain going from day to day. You are supposed to be at rest. And what the enemy wants you to do is get out from under the seat that you've been placed in. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And I'm telling you right now, don't let nothing take you out of your seat. The fact that you don't have have any money don't let that take you out of your seat it's already been provided for the fact that you got a doctor's report that's not favorable do not let that take you out of your seat because God has already provided your healing the fact that you lost some really good friends this year don't let that take you out of your seat because God has new people new places new experiences new opportunities along the way the fact that something is going on in your marriage right now and it seems like it's going to break up do not let that get you out of the seat of a finished work because God is doing more behind your back than he is in front of your face and I know you're worried right now but don't worry because God loves a good story and when he gets done eyes have not seen and ears have not heard and neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for you you don't know what can change in an hour you don't know what can change today you could get a call you could get an email but because Jesus died because because he was buried, because he was risen from the dead, because he ascended, because he was seated and crowned as king of kings, I have a right to expect the best. I have a right to look and say my future is bright because I have gotten the upgrade. All of this is supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be easy. Getting ready to close here. Now, think about this: that the scripture says is that on the Day of Atonement, what the Jews now call Yom Kippur, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year, once a year, to make atonement for the sins of the people committed in ignorance, meaning that. All through the year, they had, they had ways that they could make atonement to absolve their own sins. They had rice offerings, grain offerings, goats, bullocks, rams, doves, and it had to be the right sacrifice for a particular sin. You couldn't go up to the priest and say, hey, listen, I don't have a dove, but I do have a sparrow over here. Can you hook a brother up? <laughs> you, you, couldn't do, you, you couldn't make any deals. Now, watch this. If, if, if they were making sacrifices for the sins they knew they committed, and the high priest had to come behind that for the sins committed in ignorance, meaning the stuff they don't even know that they did, how could they ever believe that what they were doing was enough? The book of Hebrews says that when he talks about the high priest going into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the people's sins yearly, he says the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into God's presence has not yet been made. Meaning that I don't care how many sacrifices you make, I don't care how many times the high priest comes, whatever you guys are doing and however long you're doing it, it will never get you into my presence. God was telling them the mere fact that you have to come every single year should indicate to you the temporary nature of this covenant and that I want something better for you. He was telling them the system you have 
does not work. And here it is. We are not, we don't have to kill, uh, kill goats. We don't have to kill rams. We don't have to do any of that. But we do have the incarnation of that system. And the incarnation of that system is performance-based Christianity. Where we're lifting our works to God. Instead of focusing on the finished work. Everybody's standing. Glory to God. You, you've got an upgrade that God wants you to get into. Glory to God. Glory to God. Did you know that God's mind can't change about you? It cannot, and I know people are saying, well, look what I did, and look how many times I said I wouldn't do it, and I did it again. But it's because you're operating from an old system, and you just need to upgrade. Because God doesn't work with your, I won't do this again. God actually gets to the desire. Did you know that God wants you to do his will, but more than him wanting to do, wanting you to want to do his will, he wants you to want to do his will. From a, from a place of desire, not trying, Lord, I'm living all I can. I'm doing all I can. Where's the blessing? It's not in your performance. But how can you give me something I don't deserve? That's why it's called grace. <laughs> don't forget, you are in a better covenant with better promises. Look at your neighbor and say, get the update. Praise God. Thank you for taking a moment to listen in to what Jesus is doing right here at Way Family Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. If you want to be a part of helping us to continue to share the gospel and get it out to as many people as we can, you can do that via Cash App at dollar sign Way Family Church, or you can visit our website at wayfamilychurch.com and click on the giving tab. For more information about Way Family Church, you can connect with us on all social media platforms or simply go to wayfamilychurch.com. Be blessed.